Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we go through the Bible book by book in a way that's deep, but also easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Solid Life Whole Bible Reading Plan. We also have physical reading plans available in the lobby every Sunday. Yes, and we would love to, uh, just as we say every week, we would love for you to send in questions that may come up either as you're reading through the reading plan or maybe as you're listening to some of the different podcast conversations that Evan and myself are having. Uh, And so we like to spend time every uh, month to answer those questions. So the last Friday of every month, like today's episode, is actually a QA and a episode. Uh, We're going to be spending some time answering some of those questions. Uh, So it's going to be a fun day. Uh, Lean in a little bit because these questions are going to be, I think, worth listening to. Uh, And so with that, I'm going to jump into the first question. Uh, And I decided I'm going to be the guy that talks uh, and asks the questions and then you just Evan, have a very soothing voice to listen yeah, everyone to. respects me because of my voice <laughs> I, they say i have a face for radio so uh this is a test run but question one says hi evan and aaron can you talk hello to you as well uh can you talk a bit about first corinthians 14 please i've heard some someone speaking in tongues once and found the experience oddly unsettling have either of you experienced this can you give some insights into it Similarly, can you spend some time talking about Paul's recommendations slash sentiments about prophecy? How applicable is it to the modern church? I love, love, love this question uh, because I think it's it's one that uh, brings a lot of uh, honesty uh, to kind of the work of the Holy Spirit as he uh, empowers us through the verbal and audible gifts. Uh, and so I'm going to let Evan start because he's better looking than me with that beard. Thank you. And then I'll, I'll share my thoughts as well. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I guess... There's, it's interesting. There's a lot to unpack uh, in this particular section, but in First Corinthians 14, it's kind of this. Um, it's Paul giving direction to the church of how to use um, certain gifts of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. and so I guess just to kind of just just to kind of work through um, as Christians, we believe uh, that the Holy Spirit um, indwells us at salvation, and basically what that means is that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit uh, for the work of Christ, uh, the work of bringing the kingdom of God about, which is, um, I would say, primarily evangelism, um, or in other words, uh, sharing the gospel um, with people, especially those who have who have never heard it. Um, and then the Holy Spirit empowers people in different ways. And so all throughout the book of Acts, what we see is, um, and you know, all throughout, I guess, the, the New Testament post uh, the ascension of Christ, what we see um, is Christians empowered in different ways. And in a ton of different books of the Bible, uh, we go through and the gifts are kind of listed out. And, and what Paul's kind of getting at is um, essentially that there are spiritual gifts that we all have, but we need to make sure that we don't put them in the place where they don't need to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think one of the most uh, profound things that he says um, is, if I prophesy and I speak of the, in the tongues of angels and men, uh, but I don't have love, then I'm like a clanging gong or a cymbal. And mm-hmm. I think uh, the temptation for people back then and the temptation for people today um, is to earnestly pursue the gifts of the Holy Spirit without having the heart of what they're for. And when we look in Acts, almost every time that we see um, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit uh, used is its primary function is to show the people who are there um, that Jesus is God, that mm-hmm. the that the Holy Spirit is here, that there is good news. It, it's an evangelistic tool, is kind of the idea of what it is. Um, and it, it, as far as as far as speaking in tongues go, there's two kind of different things that are talked about in the New Testament. And so, if you remember back to Acts chapter two, um, 
one of the one of the first indications of I, we'll call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but this idea that there uh, there's there's kind of this this fresh empowering of people to do the work of ministry. Um, one of the uh, one of the evidences of this is that they begin to speak. Um, in languages that they don't know. And so when it's pretty clear in this passage, they're not talking about um, a heavenly language of any kind. They're just talking about earthly languages that they're not aware of. Mm -hmm. And so that's, uh, that's one of the evidences we see that happen a few times in acts as well, where uh, people are speaking in tongues. Um, In fact, you, Aaron, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think in acts, every time we see speaking in tongues, it is um, an earthly language of some kind. And then I could be wrong on that, though. So don't. Oh, I don't can't correct me. you or do, uh, incorrect or I can't critique you on that. Um, no, I am top of my head. I don't remember. Sorry. I am comfortable saying the majority of the time it's uh, it's an earthly language. And then in the epistles of Paul, what we get is um, he talks about this idea of praying in some kind of a heavenly language. Um, and so he's saying to, to um, some Christians have a gift where. Um, essentially they can just they they can pray it's heavenly utterances like the, the holy spirit just kind of gives you uh the words to say it's not necessarily an, an earthly language that we would understand um but it's it's just a gift and it's for the edification of, of re- it's really for personal edification and then when there's um an interpreter present which is another gift of the holy spirit it, it can be for the edification of the church mm-hmm. and so first corinthians 14 uh is kind of just giving ground rules uh for how some of these gifts uh, should be used within the church, and so obvious. Like one of the one of the easy ones is, you know, uh, if someone's just getting up and speaking in tongues, and there's no one there to interpret it, then that doesn't help um, anyone else in the church. Yeah, Paul, it, even even in First Corinthians fourteen, Paul says it doesn't edify the yeah. church. It's it's useless almost. And it's it's personally edifying for the person yeah, speaking. For sure. Um, but if and but if there's not an interpreter, it's not edifying for the church, and so it's not um, a gift that should be exercised in that way. Those are kind of the ground rules uh, yeah. that Paul is throwing down. Um, in first Corinthians 14. Um, I'm yeah. Not, I and guess, I, I mean, yeah. just even to jump in from it, I think that there is, um, some tension to live out and play into because, um, this is not a, I mean, even as, even as the, the question states, like it's, it's, it was oddly unsettling. Uh, I've been in a situation where, uh, there have been, uh, s- spoken words of tongues in a corporate gathering. And I think it's important to remember even kind of circling back to minute for to Evan's point, when we gather together as a body of Christ, it's to edify the body and everything that, that happens in our services or our times together should lead us and lean and help us lean in to Jesus and who he is and growing more in our faith and relationship with him and understanding our call as his ambassadors to go into the world and draw in, in essence, draw and bring people to the hope of Jesus, um, as God would enable us with various different gifts. Um, but there are moments, to be honest with you, and I remember as a teenager hearing it being said, like, don't pursue the gift, pursue the giver, which is so corny and cheesy because I think it's like <laughs> such an old school way of saying it. But it's true. Like, at times we have placed a priority on these gifts that we feel more affirmed. I would say it's a self-seeking attitude sometimes. In my own youth, I was that way. Like, well, I want to, I want, you know, the, the work of the Holy Spirit. I want to speak in tongues. I want to do these things. But I never really cared about being an effective witness which is the point of the Holy, baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2-4, but also in Acts 1-8. Like you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Right. If we do not become a better witness because of the work of the Holy Spirit in us, then I strongly challenge uh, our heart's motivation in, in the self-seeking manner. So Paul, you got to remember, was correcting and bringing teaching and training 
to a very young church that was dysfunctional at times. Um, well, probably most of the time, but, uh, and so he's trying to talk to the conversation about, Hey, here's the things that we need to be operating in and having the right heart and the right mentality with it. Um, and, and here's the thing that I'll say, going back to the question for a minute, it says, um, I, have we experienced an, an, a, a verbal or outspoken, uh, tongue in a church setting? I have, I've experienced it in a, I, what I would say is very healthy and God honoring way. And I've experienced it in a very unhealthy and, and God dishonoring way. And the difference was this, the interpretation was now, when I say interpretation, this is where the gift of interpretation comes in. Interpretation of tongues, it's a gift. Um, and the, and Paul's even clear, if no interpreter's present, even if we give an utterance in tongues in a public setting, our responsibility as the one who's giving that is also to pray for the interpretation. Um, but the difference between those two experiences was, how do I even say it? It's It's the sense of peace in the midst of this utterance. It's the sense of peace coming after where we're in my heart and in my spirit. I think there's two things that normally happen. When we experience something we're uncomfortable or unfamiliar with, we recoil. And our natural response is to recoil, but our Christian response should also be to pray. In our minds and in our hearts to set our hearts on God and say, okay, God, where are you in this? Because I believe if he's in it, there's going to be peace that comes with it. And through an interpretation, the message becomes relevant, it becomes understandable, and it becomes edifying to the whole body. Now, where they experience and that, and that happened in the in the one experience or the couple experiences that I've had that have been God honoring, in my opinion, where I've seen it not be God honoring is where it's every week it's the same individual giving a, an utterance in tongues, and then following up with an interpretation of that tongue, and there wasn't peace in it. Even as a young, immature Christian, I remember sitting in this in, in, in this service, and I just felt uncomfortable. Well, I even like the the phrase that. Uh our, our listener uses, which is, you know, oddly unsettling. Yes. Um, it's not this idea where it's like evil or demonic or anything like that, but it's just kind of like, it just feels like this isn't, um, this isn't the way this is supposed to be used yeah. Or, yeah, and that sort of thing. So. And I, we got to be careful with our own skepticism because I think our own skepticism can create false understandings of, of situations. Um, but God has given us discernment. God has given us wisdom. God has given, and we can, so when I say when we recoil, our response should then be to pray and surrender to God in the moment and help him give us the greater discernment to understand whether it's of God or not. Um, but there's definitely definitely some big, big conversations. Yeah, to, we, to, could, we could talk about this for uh, probably the full I think Evan and I had seven years, having known each other, we've talked about it. Uh, probably five years worth of those seven years. Oh, yeah. So um, I guess really quickly, just because uh, you also asked about prophecy. So like just a quick 30 seconds on it, I guess. Um, I would say that um, number one, uh, I think that the Lord has given us everything that we need uh, to know how to live our lives in scripture. Um, and so I don't think that we need to live our lives in a sense of um, almost, I think, I think there's this tendency, uh, particularly in like charismatic tradition uh, to basically just kind of be paralyzed waiting for God to speak into specific situations, which sometimes happens and sometimes doesn't. Um, and so I would say if, if you're in that situation where you're just like, God, I just need you to tell me what to do in this specific thing. And he's not answering. Um, like we, we have the tools to be able to discern um, the different, basically we have the turns to discern what is right, what is wrong, um, what is profitable, what is not. Uh, and then the other thing I'll say is basically always check um any prophetic word against scripture. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably the healthiest thing. Um, what does that mean? So, I mean, I always tell, I just remember as a kid hearing this statement a lot and I, I understand it now, but 
I always were like, well, what, is, what does that mean? Am I supposed to take that word and put it to the text of scripture and find out? Uh, yeah. Because it doesn't, the, the words don't make the same. They aren't the same. So when you say put it against scripture, I just say clarify that for a second. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I always tell this, I always share the story of uh, someone was talking, my dad's a pastor. And so someone was what? talking with him. Yeah. And uh, I forgot what exactly he was saying, but the, the gist of it was, he's like, I feel like um, the Holy Spirit is prompting me um, to divorce my wife and leave my family and then to go do, um, I forgot what it was that he felt like he was called to do, but to go do something somewhere else. And so he had to walk through like, well, okay, well let's, let's talk about this. Um, because we know, um, you know, through, we can go into the gospels and look at the teachings of Jesus on divorce. We know that, okay, well, this isn't something, um, that God would be asking you to do. And I think there, there's just a tendency to get caught up in, um, our own human emotions. And so we can feel things that we, that aren't necessarily true. And I think that's the beauty of scripture is that it's here. Um, yeah. it's consistent. And so we can always check things against that. I think also just kind of spiritual authorities in your lives, always pray about things. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, there's just a danger to, um, I think just kind of blindly accepting, uh, whether it's something that you feel yourself or something that someone else says, um, without checking against scripture, without yeah. praying about it first. So that's kind of what I would say about prophecy. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I, and I would even just simply say, man, like Paul is speaking to a church and, uh, that again needs direction and leading. And I would even say is applicable to our current state of the church now, not just necessarily the Grove church here in Marysville, but, uh, church wide. I think we've always got to be revisiting scripture for foundational truths and understanding this is how we build and lead and live according to the work of the spirit. Um, and I would just simply say this in a, in a simple response to how applicable is it to the modern church? I'm a part of the Assemblies of God uh, ministerial team. I'm a pastor in the Assemblies of God. The, the Grove Church here in Marysville is affiliated with the Assemblies of God. Team AG. And we do, yeah, Team AG. We we really do believe it is applicable and relevant and useful to today's modern church. Um, and there's much more that we can get into that conversation, but I would just simply say this, man, as followers of Christ, I don't think we can effectively do the work that God has called us to apart from the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, and those gifts that come with the Holy Spirit are not just tongues and prophecy. Uh, there's a whole slew of them in first or first Corinthians 12, also in 14 here that we've read. Uh, also, I believe it's in Romans 12, there's conversations about the gift of the spirit. Uh, and so I just think it's, it's pretty relevant and powerful and, and necessary for us today. So, yeah, but I'm going to continue on. Uh, second question came in. It says, hi, Evan. Uh, they don't care about my opinion on this. So thank you very much. Very for that. Rude. Um, very the next rude. two questions, they don't ask my opinion. So I'm just going to sit here in silence. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, I know the heart. I know the intent. So, but it says this, can you talk a bit about fasting? Isaiah 58 was pretty eye opening on that. And I'd love to hear your take on it. So Isaiah 58, for those of you who don't know, uh, is a very familiar passage where God is revealing through Isaiah, the, um, the, the right mentality, the right heart and the right practice of fasting, uh, to God's people in that era. And so, uh, what are your take on it, Evan? Cause Aaron doesn't get an answer. I'm yeah, just kidding. It's funny. We talked about this a little bit, um, a few, uh, a little bit ago. I remember was, we, I think when we were going through Isaiah, didn't we? I can't know. Well, there's a Q and a, there's a Q and a podcast a while ago where they asked about, um, I do not remember what the question was, but we talked about kind of this idea of you know the, all like in scripture you see with fasting. Um, one of the major hypocrisies that that God hates, or I guess I should say, one of the sins that God hates is hypocrisy. Um, and you see this all throughout Isaiah because that's really what Isaiah is preaching against: is that in Judah at the time, um, there were people who were going through the motions of worshiping God, uh, but they didn't have the heart uh, behind it. Their hearts weren't turned mm -hmm. towards God, and so they were like fasting. Um, but 
basically instead of actually um, – and so when we talk about fasting in the Bible, I guess we should define that first before we – Aaron, you're moving your books so loud. <laughs> what was my chair that cracked? Um, when we talk about fasting, really what we're saying is, is taking um, a time uh, to essentially sacrifice food from your life is, is what we see in Scripture most often used. Um, I mean, today there's kind of – there's other ways you can fast as well. Um, but in, in in scripture, all I think all the examples are food, and what they do is uh, you take time, you kind of don't eat uh, for a period of time. Sometimes they drink water, sometimes they don't eat or drink, and then you just kind of spend that time fervently in prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, the time you would be eating or drinking, you right. spend you in essence replace it with prayer and God's word. And so it's it's really just kind of um, it's a it's a it's a really powerful thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's. In, in addition to kind of, it's just an, another way of worshiping God and saying, you know, God, you matter to me more um, than food. Um, it's also kind of just a way to earnestly focus in on prayer. Um, but I also think it's, it's edifying personally yeah, for uh, sure. to do it because what it, it kind of... Uh, not physically, not, <laughs> not, not in our flesh because it sucks. Um, and then obviously, I mean, disclaimer, like obviously, you know, be healthy. So uh, if you you know the limits of what yeah. you can do, don't don't... You know, drive well, yourself a, to go into the just hospital. Just a quick, just a quick side note, real quick. There's a book um, that I highly recommend, just in general, basic Christian uh, disciplines, called "The Celebration of Discipline" by Richard Foster. Um, and there is a chapter, it's actually one of the books that I brought down. I'm not going to spend any time reading from it, uh, but it's just a reminder of like if we want to understand a biblical picture of fasting, a biblical picture of the disciplines, uh, spiritually speaking, whether it's reading God's word or it's meditation or it's um, even the, the uh, servitude or different things. Richard uh, Frosted does, I think, a really great job breaking down and walking us through these different conversations because I think um, it's 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 something that is not as relevant or not relevant. It's not a it's a it's a little bit of a lost understanding of fasting because I don't think we in America do it as much as we probably could and that's, should. So we we like our food. That's a soapbox, but that is uh, the celebration of discipline by R- Richard, Richard Foster. Foster yeah. All right, so to, you know, pick it up. Have that's, you read it before? I have not. Oh. So that's why I had to I had to look over at your book to get I'm the a, title. I'm a right. better Christian. I'm just kidding. That's so bad. <laughs> um, but <clears throat> so yeah, I think there's there's really just um it's really just a helpful uh, healthy thing to do. I think there's been there's been seasons of my life um where I've just kind of felt spiritually stuck um, or whatever it might be, and there honestly is just something powerful about. Um, just, I, I suppose, just tuning yourself more in uh, to the will of God, to the spiritual world. That sounds kind of weird uh, to say it, but essentially, it's it's kind of denying yourself mm-hmm. uh, physical uh, pleasure for the moment um, to earnestly pursue the Lord. So that's that's, I mean, that kind of simple on what to say about yeah. fasting. That's, those are my thoughts. Well, and here's what I would say: I have a, <clears throat> I took a class on Isaiah back in college. I don't remember a lot from it. Sorry, Doctor Hobson, you uh, were a phenomenal teacher, though. Um, and one of the books that I was given is, is a book by um, Barry G. Webb, uh, and it's called The Message of Isaiah. And the chapter of, of verse 58, here's the thing uh, that I think is really, really important uh, to, to understand before anything else is said. Isaiah 58 is not the formula for fasting only. It is a, it's a deeper understanding of the heart for fasting, of the meaning behind fasting. And it's, it's where there is that freedom to the captives, where there is that breakthrough, where there is that provision. Um, but the thing that I really just want to read real quick, it says this when it comes to uh, this, this passage it's, um, of, of chapter 50 in Isaiah, it says, the, the terms lighting, healing, righteousness, and glory all refer to the same reality the full realization of the covenant blessing for which they were longing. This is referring to the, the products, the byproduct of, of 
the right method and means of fasting for the God's people. They realize that they get the full realization of the blessing for which we uh, have been longing. It says this, but Isaiah were here warns all who desire good things and even back up their partitions by fasting that they cannot expect to be heard until they change the way they are living. And the, the interesting thing about fasting, and, and there's been a couple times where I've gone through a season of fasting the last probably year of my life, just with different things that I was seeking God for. I mean, we did an all church fast this last April, um, where we did 20 days of, of prayer and fasting, where we were praying for four bigger things, just believing God and seeking God to work in salvations at Easter, which we saw, I want to say 200 plus, but I could be wrong. It's probably, I will say 150, just to be conservative. Uh, but we saw 150 plus people on one day say yes to Christ publicly through a responsive sal- salvation call. We were praying for unity uh, as as a team and as a church. Uh, and we saw God do some do, do some painful things and, and pruning and working and bringing us to a point where we, you know, are now, I believe a stronger, more unified team. Um, we, we prayed for, uh, the property, uh, that we own up North to be sold because we've been in this long process of trying to get it sold. And, uh, there was just some people and some things that were hindering or stopping the progression of the sale of the property. Uh, and, and we're seeing God slowly work that out. Uh, I'm excited. I think we're going to be able to see a full answer to that uh, in the coming weeks to months, whatever. Uh, and then the last one we were praying for, uh, and I actually don't remember anymore, vision, new vision. Uh, we were just praying, God, what do you want to do with the church? And so there's times where we spend time, or there's times where we intentionally fast to seek God's will for specific things. And it's not always in, to, in line up with a, to a T, how Isaiah 58 says, well, it's for this, 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 and this. The heart of fasting is to see breakthrough come. The heart of fasting is to see God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And our heart, even as Isaiah says in the commentator here, uh, Barry Webb, sounds like a R&B smooth jazz kind of guy. Um, Barry Webb. But is is that we have to be willing to change our way of living. The heart of the purpose and the, the reality of fasting is our lives no longer become our own. And stopping eating literally means we're starving ourselves. And when we replace it with God's word, that's where biblical fasting comes into play and fruition. And I would just simply say this, in the practice of fasting, Jesus says in the New Testament, when you fast, it's not, he's, he's expecting us as followers of Christ to fast. He's expecting and understanding that we should and will fast. It's not a definitive, you have to fast, but I would strongly encourage every Christian out there to take a season of prayer and fasting. Don't do it on a whim, but spend some time. They've got great reading plans on the Version app. Uh, and we can, I can, if you ask, send in a question saying, Hey, what are some of those plans? I'd be willing to send the answers and give you some ideas here. But, uh, fasting is a very biblical practice and it's very, it's something that I think we, uh, should do. And I think Isaiah 58 speaks to the heart of fasting. And I think there's more to talk about with the practice of fasting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, moving on to question three. Oh, here. this one's for you. I'm going to ask it again. It says, hi, Evan, uh, in Zephaniah one, four, there's a stark statement about the destruction of Baal worship. Throughout the whole world, I appreciate in the context of the Old Testament, that probably just means Israel and Judah. But do people actually still worship Baals and use Asherah poles? Or has this prophecy come true in today's version of the world? And Evan and I talked about this question a little bit before we jumped on because we like to review and kind of bounce see, each other. See where we're at. Yeah. Uh, so that way we're not arguing on 
the recording. But uh, Evan and I, we pretty much agree on this one. So I'm just going to let you take it and then we'll move on to the next question. Yeah. So to re- I'm just going to read the passage really quick just so we know oh, where call. we're at. Uh, so starting in verse two, uh, it says, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from this face of the earth, declares the Lord. I'll stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will cut off from this place, the remnant of Baal and the name of the idolatrous priests along with the priests, those who bow down on the roofs and to the host of heaven, those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire him. Um, So this one's actually pretty quick. Uh, So where, where a lot of times you can get hung up is the very first sentence says, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth. And there's a series of prophecies kind of just uh, that we would say probably are being fulfilled um, at the coming of Christ is when we will see uh, those things happen. Um, but then it zooms in on Judah, uh, Israel, and Judah. And so when it says, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal. Uh, so that has happened. Uh, mm-hmm. So, and this thing where like, it's, I don't want to say no one worships we'll Baal anymore. Yeah. I mean, like there may be somewhere in the world, there's like five people who are in a tribe who still like hang on to it. But uh, for practical, practically speaking, no one worships Baal anymore. No yeah. one worships In the Old Asherah. Testament, it was a widespread religion. And Today, a, it's almost non-existent. Yeah. And a lot of times too, what you'll see in prophetic books and even in the, um, when it's referenced in the, the New Testament a couple of times, uh, Baal can also kind of just be a stand-in for idolatry in general, uh, because true. that was um, Baal. For whatever reason, Baal worship just really had a a grip on a lot of the people of, of Israel and Judah. Um, it was just, I guess, it was more tempting than the other religions. Well, it was that the were god around. of the land that they moved into. Like right? They didn't they didn't completely eradicate the people or got get rid of the people. Yeah. So they they were influenced by the culture they went they moved into the land of. Yeah, and, and so because of that, um, when when the Bible speaks of of Baal, if you're um, a Jew living at that time, obviously that immediately comes to to mind kind of this idea of like turning away from God and worshiping idols. And so a lot of times it's just kind of used um, as a stand-in for mm-hmm. idolatry in general. But yeah, so the 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 quick answer to this one, um, I don't know if Aaron, you feel differently or not, but uh, the idea would be that it's, it's, spe- it's referring specifically to Israel and Judah, yeah. uh, which, which basically does happen. Yes. So there yeah. you go. Okay. Final and, question. And I would agree with Evan. So that's why I let him take over. Uh, question number four, the final question for today's podcast, it says this, Acts 21, four states in the NIV, that quote unquote, through the spirit, capital S, they pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem, but he did it anyway. So when the spirit capital S appears to giving conflict, conflicting actions or opinions, how should we respond? This is such a good question. So, and this, it actually, it, it really perfectly ties into the first question, which Mm -hmm. I think is, it just kind of, it's it's a good, uh, we planned it that way. Yeah, totally. Totally. It it puts a bow on today's episode really in a really nice way. Um, I, I think me and Aaron agree on this one, uh, that what is happening here is that the Holy Spirit revealed uh, to the people that are talking to Paul that if Paul goes to Jerusalem, that he's going to be imprisoned and die. Um, and so uh, the people wanting to spare Paul from that tell him, don't go. The Holy Spirit has revealed to us um, that this is going to happen. Um, and then Paul's response is kind of just like, yeah, he he told me about that too. And then he just kind of keeps going. Yeah. Um, and so this is where... Um, I, it, this is a, a line that we all have to walk um, as Christians. And the idea is um, 
balancing out and learning where the line is between the revelation of God and human interpretation of that. And so, what we have here is a really great example of uh, the Holy Spirit gives a fresh revelation to to these people, but they interpret it wrong in the sense of, you know, God is revealing that this is going to happen. And then they automatically say, well, obviously that we don't want that to happen. And yeah. then so they kind of take a step that that isn't supposed to be there. Um, and that can be a, a tendency for all of us, I think, mm-hmm. today, where maybe we feel um, the Holy Spirit prompting us to do something. But then, um, and this is why I said in the first question, like always check it against scripture, always, yeah. um, you know, talk with people about it, pray about it. Um, because if you just kind of gut reaction on whatever you're, whatever's happening, uh, you can be wrong. Yeah. Well, and I would I would even add to that. I mean, there's a there's uh, a piece uh, you know in the in the book of Acts where even I think his name is Agabus, uh, who was a prophet, comes to Paul, Great takes, name. takes off his belt. That's actually gonna be the name of my next kid if he's a boy. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. But uh, he takes off Paul's belt and says, if you continue in the path and trajectory you're going, this is what's going to happen to you. And he ties his ankle, he ties his hands and his feet together like he's bound. And it says you will be carried away uh, and you will be in prison. You you will suffer punishment and uh, suffer greatly. And Paul, uh, and so in essence, Agabus told Paul, don't go. Don't do it. And Paul's simple response was, I have to go. God has called me to go. And I think it's it's one thing to receive revelation from the Holy Spirit to see and have insight as something that will happen or is going to happen. But how we respond to that revelation is pretty important too. And to be honest with you, like if I'm, if I'm these individuals, some of the followers and friends of Paul, and I get this revelation as I'm praying for him, uh, that he's going to go and suffer. I don't want my friend to suffer. I don't, I don't want him to, to go and and suffer for the king. Hey, can you go somewhere else? I mean, we see throughout the book of Acts that Paul was, was let down uh, on the outer wall when the religious leaders were aiming to kill him. They were trying to protect Paul. And so it's not that there is conflicting actions or opinions from the Holy Spirit, because I think the Holy Spirit is in alignment with what he told Paul, with what he told Agabus, with what he revealed to these other friends of Paul and followers of Christ. And he was all, he was providing clarity and direction. It's how we respond differently. It, it, we all respond differently based upon our own opinions or perspectives or even our own feelings. And and so it wasn't necessarily that the, it's wrong. It's we, again, go back going back to the first question, going back to what Evan's already said, we have to be uh, wise and discerning. God, what are you actually saying? Because at the end of the day, our job is to be and have the same mind and heart of Paul. I'm going to go where God calls me to no matter what. Absolutely. And I think Ryan did a great job uh, in the, the, this last series that we've been in um, where he just simply said his greatest fear. And I don't know if I remember if it was on all services or one of the services, but that he has an American faith that will not stand up in the face of death. And and that's such a great question for all of us here in America to ask. Are we willing to stand and stay convicted and hold tightly in the face of fear and persecution and suffering. Um, not that I'm hoping God brings it my way. I'm I'm human and I'm I'm blue eyes and I'm kind of weak when it comes to pain. But I think it, it comes down to simply this: the Holy Spirit will tell us things, and our job is to respond. And it's like I don't think there's anything wrong with these followers and friends of Paul saying, "Hey, don't go," uh, because I think it was out of care and concern and friendship more than out of trying to thwart what the enemy or what, what the Holy Spirit, not the right. enemy, what the Holy Spirit was, was aiming for them to do. And Jesus said the same thing to Peter. Peter said, uh, oh shoot, what do you say? Don't, you, don't do it. Don't go die or whatever. And Jesus point blank said, get behind me, Satan, uh, which is a pretty stark question or statement in and of itself. So uh, I, don't, I don't think that it's a conflicting uh, action or opinion. I think it's the Holy Spirit revealing thing to his, things to his people and people are responding differently. At the end of the day, Paul says this, 
make up in your own mind what you believe, my paraphrase, but we have to understand and have the conviction of what the Holy Spirit has said to us as we continue to trust in Jesus, because he's the one that leads us, not our friends or our peers. Yeah. And I think that's uh, a great place to wrap it up for this week. Great Uh, questions this week. Thank you. Oh yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, Just a reminder that we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only podcast of the Grove Church. If you want to check out all of our other podcasts and resources, you can visit our website at grove.church and also make sure to leave a five-star review on whatever device you're listening on. It just helps us grow the audience uh, and continue to grow this community of people who are reading the Bible together. Um, And we will see you guys on Sunday, a couple days.